Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. I trust you all had a enjoyable, a joyful even, uh, Christmas holiday as we probably, as we call them, we probably should call it a holy day because it, it's a day of uh, honoring and praising God for the birth of his son, sending his son. So uh, the uh, verse that is, of course, very appropriately to that is, for God so loved his, for God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. He that believeth in the son is not condemned. He that does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the one and only Son of God. He that believeth in the Son has everlasting life. He that does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. This morning, as we begin our service, we always take a few seconds for spiritual preparation. And that spiritual preparation allows us to confess sins, but also begin our focus on the, uh, the worship service as a whole. Uh, therefore, let's take a few seconds, closing our eyes, bowing our heads, and then I will open us in prayer. Dearly Father, we're thankful for this season, the season where we can specifically remember the birth of the Christ child, your son, the son that you sent to us, Father, to redeem us. We're thankful that while we do not know the specific day, which the day itself is not important, It's what occurred on that day, the event, the event of you giving your son to mankind, the human race, so that while we are unable to redeem ourselves, he will take the guilt of the sins on himself, and we simply need to believe in his finished sacrificial work on the cross. We ask for your blessing upon our service this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, uh, as we finish this year, I always like to uh, thank you for your financial support. It's a, uh, a necessity in our, uh, our world today in supporting uh, ministries, and I want to thank you all for your support this year. Uh, it's an, uh, not only is it important, but it is part of our spiritual life. And the Apostle Paul tells us that it is something that we should do. Um, he says that each one of us should give just as he decides in his heart. And I think that 
that understanding is that we have a responsibility to examine ourselves and decide whether giving is appropriate or not. And uh, giving, of course, as part of our uh, our uh, priesthood, uh, not only supports the local church, but we try to support uh, other missionaries as well, uh, taking the gospel to various parts of the land of the of the earth, and so we are to decide in our own hearts, and we're to do it not reluctantly nor under compulsion, for the Lord loves a uh, a heart that is willing, that is the most translations would say cheerful, but it's a gracious, it's dra- uh, gracious giving. And so um, as we close out this year, uh, we are thankful again for yeah, your gracious giving. Now, this morning, what I would like to do is, first of all, go to a passage of Scripture Uh, two passages of Scripture that are going to lead into our message this morning. And we are continuing our uh, Christmas special. We're going to, we'll go to our call to worship in Psalm 90. Psalm 90, and then we'll also, on our way back, stop as we return to uh, our passages. We'll also uh, read... uh, one uh, uh, a verse from 145 but we're in let's go to psalm 90 and for many of you you should remember that psalm 90 is believed to have been written by moses and of course that's uh, unusual for us because uh, we expect maybe david or asaph or someone else maybe solomon but this psalm, Psalm 90, is written by Moses. And I'd like to read verse 12. Psalm 90, verse 12. And this is Moses asking God. So he says, So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart, a soul of wisdom. And the word here for wisdom is chokmah. And it's not simply uh, intelligence, but it's skill. It's the use of uh, information, of knowledge. Um, as we grow older, I think that Moses' words should become more precious. Moses says that we should measure our time. In other words, we only have so many days. We only have so much time. And we should measure that those times, those days, and use it wisely. Use it wisely to grow in the knowledge of God's Word and then to apply it to serve as He gives us opportunity. Let's turn to 145, Psalm 145. One of the reasons I wanted to read Psalm 90.12 is because today we will be trying to apply um, the verses and the points that we are making. Psalm 145 
is a praise psalm. And it's in Psalm, we can actually begin in verse 1. And verse 1 says, I will extol you. And this, of, this is a psalm from David, written by David. I will extol you, meaning praise you, my God, O King. And I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. And verse, thir- verse 3 is the, the target for my call to worship. Great is the Lord. And the verb's not there. The verb is elighted, we would say, which adds emphasis to this. Great the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. David tells us that our God is great. He is so great that he is worthy of praise. And we as humans cannot even begin to measure his greatness. We must awaken every day praising God for who he is and how wonderful he is to us. And uh, the Christmas season should bring us to a heightened focus of who uh, the Lord Jesus is and the greatness of our God who sent us his son. All right, let's now go to our passage, that, uh, at least a background passage. Uh, this is a passage, Luke 2, our scripture reading, finding this in Luke 2. This is a passage that I'm sure has been read, hopefully you read it, during this uh, Christmas time. We have read two other passages as we have begun our study, uh, last Sunday and then Wednesday night. Uh, we have read, for background, we've, we've read Luke 1, 26 through, through 38. And that was Gabriel's announcement to Mary of her coming pregnancy. And then we read Matthew 1, 18 through 25, which was Gabriel's announcement to Joseph that he was to wed Mary, the woman to which he was betrothed. And now we're going to read about the results of those two previous meetings, the birth of the Christ child. So Luke 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. We um, There is some discussion, some debate about when this individual was governing, uh, governing uh, Syria. It appears historically that Quirinius was leading or ruling in the Middle East, Syria or another area, twice. And so uh, this very well may have been uh, in about 4 B.C. And we know that he also was in the area in about 7 A.D. 
So we believe that it was the earlier date. And it says, so all went to be registered since the entire earth, I always like the way the, the Bible states this, since all the earth had to go to register, all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of Nazareth, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Uh, The phrase here, with child, simply means that she was pregnant. That's what this tells us. We are, we, I, it is clearly identified. Verse six. Now you'll notice in verse six that we have a phrase or this sentence helps us to understand what we're going to be studying this morning. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, to be delivered. Uh, notice that while they were there, uh, we'll see that that has significance because most of the, the movies we might see or um, the uh, comments, I guess, uh, the reports, uh, we have that Joseph and Mary, Mary on the verge of delivering, riding on a donkey, appear in Bethlehem, and they need to find a place so she can deliver. Well, this verse doesn't seem to support that. This says that after they arrive, and after a time, a period of time, Mary uh, delivers. She gives birth, and that's important. Verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, in a feeding trough, because there was no room, there was no place, there was no space for them in most uh, versions say in. But the word in is better translated room. Uh, that there was no place for them in this location, and I'll say house, uh, where they were because there were others there. So they departed from the room where most of the people were and went down uh, to the lower part of the house, and that's where she delivered. Uh, And it just happened to be where animals were also kept. And so there was a a manger there, and that's where she laid him. All right. Now, these these passages prepare us for uh, what we are going to do today, and that is we're going to put together a chronology of Jesus' early life. So we're studying Joseph of Nazareth, But we're also studying the perspective here of obedience. And we are going to pull 
this chronology from Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. You'll notice, I know that you've all read these uh, chapters, and neither of these books provide for us a clear uh, chronology of what happened on uh, during this period of time. But if we take these various uh, passages, we can piece them together. Now, that doesn't give us all of the information that we would like to have, but at least helps us to maybe uh, speculate on what occurred between some of these events. All of these passages and points that we're going to study in the chronology serve to teach us lessons, lessons for our lives. As a matter of fact, uh, that is what we're going to be trying, that's what we're going to do this morning. God the Holy Spirit has not given us all the details, but the details he has recorded are important for us to read, to study, and to try to understand why God the Holy Spirit has preserved them for us. They're not just there uh, because it happens to be historical facts. So this is not merely an academic drill of historical facts, but really it is an opportunity for spiritual lessons, spiritual lessons for each of us, which we can apply in our lives. I cannot, of course, make all the applications for you. But as we work our way through the steps and the passages, you should try to understand how those passages uh, apply to the events in your life. And I think that's the value that we'll have. All right. Now, these, it seems every time that I uh, study these passages and try to come up with a chronology that uh, I need to add a point here or there. And so this may take us a little uh, a while, but there are probably somewhere in the vicinity of 20 points. And uh, I don't know that we'll get them all this morning, but what we will do is we'll have a chance to uh, understand this theme that I've uh, uh, given you, and that is the theme of obedience. So let's start. First of all, our first point looks brief. Mary and Joseph are betrothed. So this is where we start in Matthew 1, 18. We've read these passages, but it's important for us, again, to return to them so that we understand what the passage says. And Matthew 1.18 says, simply says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And of course, this links us to the previous verses, uh, Matthew 1 uh, through uh, 17, uh, which gives us the genealogy of Jesus. And now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, this event 
Mary and Joseph being betrothed might seem to be out of order compared to our next point, which uh, we'll see in a moment. But we don't know when the betrothal period began. We simply uh, are told that they are betrothed, uh, that they have been betrothed. There's a contract here. Betrothal periods can be as long as 12 months, some longer, some even shorter. However, it is probable that the betrothal of Joseph and Mary occurred prior to Gabriel's appearance to Zechariah in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, we'll see uh, that in our next point. Jerusalem, um, that occurred in Luke 1.11. Now, why is this important? Why is it important Mary and Joseph are betrothed. And I would like for you, as we proceed, to ask yourself, well, why is this important? Why did God the Holy Spirit record this? Why is this important? And how might we apply this to our lives, to my life? Well, I think that both Mary and Joseph had demonstrated their obedience to this point in their lives and were prepared for this responsibility in God's plan. Why Mary? Why Joseph? Well, we're told that Mary was favored by God, that she was, I believe, therefore, a very obedient girl. And she had demonstrated uh, her obedience and her spiritual life, that it was prepared for God's opportunity for her. And that's why Gabriel comes to her. Joseph. Why Joseph? Uh, There were many men who were available for this. And since he was not going to be the biological father, any other man could have uh, filled this role. But there was a reason why Joseph was selected, and it was because of his spiritual life, his devotion to the Lord. And um, I think the application for us is that God has a plan for our lives, and we need to be prepared for uh, the opportunities that God gives us. Secondly, Gabriel uh, appears to Zacharias, announcing, Elizabeth, uh, announcing Elizabeth's conception. Not, uh, and you could also put in the word there, her pregnancy. And this is found in Luke, Luke 1, 5. Luke 1, 5, 11. This is, of course, uh, we've studied this passage, and it's, there is some humor here for Zacharias, But, uh, or Zechariah is another way to pronounce this name. But we see in, um, we're not going to read the entire passage, but one of the things that we see uh, in verse um, verse 7, that Zechariah was married to Elizabeth, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. 
and they were both well advanced in years. Uh, so this is going to be an unusual situation, uh, a situation where God is going will be required to act in order for Elizabeth to uh, conceive. You'll notice that in verse 8, so it was that while he, Zechariah, was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to him to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And while the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense, and you'll notice here that when we talk, when we speak of incense, and incense in the temple, and also uh, we find incense referred, um, addressed in the New Testament, uh, it had to do with prayer. The incense was going up towards God. Uh, the uh, heated air over the incense, and it was a, it was an, an illustration of our prayers, and so that's what they're doing. They're praying as the uh, incense is being uh, refreshed and as it burns. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Zechariah, standing on the right side of the altar uh, of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled. In other words, high anxiety here. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And so we see here this announcement. Now, I've made the point that I believe that this is occurring after the announcement uh, of the betrothal here, and we'll see how this works. Gabriel appears to Zacharias in Jerusalem, announcing Elizabeth's coming pregnancy. Um, This will not be a virgin pregnancy. Conception will be between a man and a woman. So this is not God the Holy Spirit overseeing this, meaning uh, providing the conception. But what we do see is that Elizabeth was beyond childbearing. And so this in itself, we could say, is a miracle. Elizabeth was, uh, Elizabeth was beyond childbearing years and barren, or in other words, that Zacharias and Elizabeth had tried to have children but had failed. This is an important event because the child resulting from this pregnancy would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And Zechariah is informed of this uh, fact. Now, why is this important? Well, both Zacharias and Elizabeth had demonstrated their obedience and patience to this point in their lives. And they're responsible for this responsibility, this responsibility that was going to be given to them by God as this develops in God's plan. Zacharias had been devoted to his responsibilities as a priest, and Elizabeth had been faithful to her husband 
and had not been bitter or resentful because of her barrenness. Both had been faithful to God. So again, we have these two individuals who have demonstrated obedience and faithfulness, and God selects them for uh, this part of their plan. Now, I think a point of application here. Elizabeth is barren. She is barren not because of some sin of hers or Zacharias's. Every now and then uh, we will see someone who is unable to have children. And it's a very difficult uh, thing for them to understand. But Elizabeth is barren. And so we have this. It is either because of her fallen body, that condition, or God's action for his purposes. God will use her barrenness for his glory. We must not, or we must be careful not to assume that conditions or events in our lives occur because of sin. Confession of any sin, we, we must confess sins and move on. And when we move on, God is able to use us. As a matter of fact, there's a special passage that uh, we find in John 9. Let's turn to John 9, 1 through 5. Again, very often things happen in our lives and we believe that it's occurring because of sin. Uh, Or someone may even judge us thinking, well, this particular illness, this particular uh, condition in their lives has occurred because of sin. And the answer is, that's wrong. We, We do not know why God allows certain things to happen in our lives. And for Elizabeth, she was barren. She uh, desired, she and Zechariah desired to have children, but they were unable to. Uh, it's not always because the, uh, the woman is barren. Sometimes the man is unable uh, to have children. But that doesn't mean that they're being disciplined. Uh, it simply means that that's a condition in their lives. But God can still use Uh, those situations, and we should not be bitter nor resentful because of this. In John 9, we see, now as Jesus, verse 1, now as Jesus passed by a man who was blind, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned that this man, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, Neither, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, had his parents ever sinned in their lives? Yes. But it didn't result in the blindness of this man. The man is blind for other reasons. And no matter what the condition in our lives, God can use that condition for his glory. And those are his intentions. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. That's, I think, an important thing for us to understand. Elizabeth was not bitter nor resentful, but... When God gave her the opportunity, she rejoiced 
and praised God. All right. Point three. Gabriel appears to Mary in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Luke, back to Luke, one twenty-six. Luke one twenty-six. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, um, the first three points assume, I believe, that the betrothal of Joseph and Mary preceded Gabriel's appearance to Zechariah. Because the betrothal period probably was about 12 months in length. And if that's the case, that really is what sets all of these points in motion. And what we're seeing here, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel is going to appear to is going to appear to Mary. And so for six months, Elizabeth has been pregnant. But I believe that six months prior to that is when Zechariah, or excuse me, is when um, that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. And so these three points are important, particularly as we see the alignment, Mary and Joseph being betrothed, Gabriel appearing to Zacharias to announce the forerunner, and then uh, point three, Gabriel appearing to Mary. So this sets up the following points. The betrothal would have been in existence for at least six months. And why is this important? Well, Luke one thirty tells us that Mary had found favor with God. She was obedient and faithful in her spiritual life, and she had already, and that she was ready for God's plan for her life. And I think uh, the application for us is that we need to be prepared when God uh, is begins to un, unra- unroll His plan in our lives, and very often we're not. Uh, very often we find it difficult for uh, whatever event is occurring. And very often we either ignore the opportunity or we decline it. We simply decline it. All right, point four. <clears throat> Mary is informed that she will soon conceive by God the Holy Spirit. By God the Holy Spirit. And we see this in Luke one thirty one. Uh, Luke one thirty one says... And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And I like verse 32. She's informed who this child is going to be. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, for Mary, this would have been a, an almost an unbelievable... Well, it is unbelievable. Because she's going to be the mother 
of the Messiah. And this was uh, one of the uh, desires of all Jewish women ever since Eve. Eve even thought that her first child was going to be the Messiah. So down through the ages, Jewish women have been uh, hoping that the Messiah would come uh, from them. So Mary is informed that she will soon conceive. Now that the announcement has been delivered to Mary, God the Holy Spirit acts, initiates the conception. And Gabriel also informs Mary of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so we still have that uh, sense of obedience here and her being selected. Uh, And uh, Gabriel appears to her and says, you have been found in favor here. Now, what I think is important is every now and then someone would say, well, uh, but more than likely, this conception didn't occur right away because uh, Mary is now going to visit, uh, will visit Elizabeth. But I don't believe that's the case. Let's see here. Point five. I don't believe that Mary tells anyone of her pregnancy. I believe that she is pregnant within uh, a very brief period of the announcement, maybe even at that time. But Mary tells no one of her pregnancy, but travels to Nazareth to visit Elizabeth. And we see that in Luke 1.36. Luke 1.36, well, we see the announcement there. The announcement in 36 says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. And I like the way that God the Holy Spirit adds that information there. She was barren. So there has been a a change in her life. And that change occurred because of God's actions. I believe that uh, at the point of the announcement uh, of the uh, of Gabriel to Mary that she conceives at that point but she doesn't tell anybody but uh, you know this is one of those remarkable things i believe that mary tells no and uh, tells no one of her pregnancy but immediately travels from nazareth to judah to judea to see elizabeth mary needs to talk to someone but the fact that she is pregnant by God the Holy Spirit is going to be difficult for her to explain. Who is going to believe this maybe 15, 16-year-old girl that an angel has appeared to her and said, uh, you're going to conceive by God the Holy Spirit? The answer to that is going to be, what? Uh, it's, but Mary needs to tell someone. I think that that's the uh, tendency of all women when they discover they're pregnant. Now, I realize there are some who prefer not, but I think uh, I'm going to uh, speak of the positive side. They want to tell somebody, but I don't believe that Mary can tell her family or anyone else at this point. And so she travels to Judea and she's going to speak to another woman who is pregnant for the first time 
and by God's divine intervention. Mary will remain with Elizabeth for three months, and then she departs as Elizabeth's due date approaches. So she's been there for three months, and now she's going to return. Verse, and that is point six. Mary is three months pregnant when she returns to Nazareth. Gabriel said, you are going to be pregnant. You're going to conceive. She travels to to Judea, sees Elizabeth, and the two women can talk about their pregnancies, both of them because of divine intervention. And then she returns to Nazareth. And it says that she uh, went there at about the sixth month. And as she returns, Elizabeth is about to give birth. If Mary was pregnant when she departed Nazareth to visit Elizabeth, then she is three months pregnant when she returns. The text, of course, does not reveal the details of what occurs next. Therefore, we must take at least, we may speculate, but we'll make three assumptions of what happened. Uh, these details, as I present them in verses or in point seven, eight, and nine, are not critical, but they help to explain the lives of Mary and Joseph. Uh, so the next three points are going to reflect my understanding of the history of this and how this worked. All right, point seven. Upon returning to Nazareth, this, again, is how I view this, not because the text tells us, but upon returning to Nazareth, from returning to Nazareth, uh, from Judea, and uh, and beginning her fourth month, Mary informs Joseph of her pregnancy. This is how I view this. At this point, uh, she may be showing or maybe not. In other words, demonstrating that she's pregnant. God the Holy Spirit might have adjusted the development of the fetus so that she does not, uh, so that there is no uh, suspicion uh, arise. So no, uh, no suspicion arises. There's another point of view here, and I'll just show it to you. Point 7A is what I'm going to call it. Upon returning, Mary informs her father and mother of her pregnancy. Of course, that is possible. Mary informs her father and mother of her pregnancy. From now on, I'll just refer to this as her father. And the reason that I chose uh, point 7, not 7A, is that it seems more logical to me that Joseph be informed because he was to be the father, her husband in the marriage. He was the one who was going to assist her, help her in this pregnancy. They were to marry. And he was the one who must make a decision. This does not preclude Mary's parents from knowing of her pregnancy, but uh, I don't believe that those two are, can add any benefit to this situation. Two, two additional people knowing this uh, must overcome this incredible story of this uh, virgin conception. If Joseph, if Joseph is going to, is skeptical, which we see 
that he is skeptical, then the parents also would be skeptical. And we don't need three people uh, voicing their skepticism. Eight, again, my position here is that Joseph believes she is pregnant because she is beginning to show it physically, but is skeptical of her story. He would probably question the appearance of the angel and the fact that she is pregnant by God the Holy Spirit. And the reason that I favor this option is because when the angel appears to Joseph, he simply confirms Mary's story, and then Joseph acts immediately. So I think uh, this fits more fits better than point eight a. Mary's father believes she is pregnant because she shows it physically, but is skeptical. He would also question the appearance of the angel and the fact that she is pregnant by God the Holy Spirit. He might think that she has become pregnant while traveling to Judea to see Elizabeth, you know, because that's probably when it could have occurred. I think uh, he would have been uh, convinced that it wasn't uh, Joseph, but somehow she's pregnant, and it's just very difficult for him to believe. So I think that seven and eight are the two uh, following situations. Point nine, Joseph now is faced with a decision. Public justice, meaning uh, she is exposed to the elders and they need to make a decision, or a private divorce. And that's what Joseph is pondering in Matthew 1, 19. So Joseph is now faced with a decision, a public hearing in front of the town elders, which could result in Mary being stoned, or a private divorce. I think that he loves Mary and previously was prepared to marry her. But being just, and the word just there tells us that he was lawful. He now contemplates divorce proceedings. Marriage does not appear to be an option at this point because uh, as, a, uh, as a just and lawful man, he needs to follow the law. All right, the other possibility here is that Mary's father tells Joseph about her pregnancy but leaves the resolution in Joseph's hands. So those are the options that we have because you'll notice um, in uh, Matthew 1, it is Joseph who is pondering the options, not her parents. So Mary's father tells Joseph about her pregnancy but leaves the resolution in Joseph's hands. Mary's father may or may not have had a part in the resolution to Mary's uh, situation. The text only tells us that Joseph is faced with a decision, no one else. So this is Joseph's decision. Point 10, Gabriel appears to Joseph. Notice it doesn't say that Gabriel appears to Joseph and Mary's parents' father. He only appears to Joseph. Why? Because Joseph is the one that's going to be directed to, to wed Mary, easier to say. So point 10, Gabriel appears to Joseph, confirming Mary's story. And we see that in Matthew 1.20. Uh, we've studied this passage, but I love this passage. 
uh, beginning in verse 20 through 23. But while he thought, while he pondered about these things, what things? Divorcing her silently or privately. I think privately is probably a better word there. Behold, an angel, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. I love this fact that he appears to him in a dream. It doesn't appear to him uh, in person or a meaning while he's awake. So an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And we could go on, but Joseph has been directed to marry or to wed Mary. And not only that, but he's also told that she has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. So that confirms what Mary has said. And then he is also told the name, given the name. And so Mary's story is confirmed. Point 11, Joseph instantly obeys. Now, you might say, I wonder uh, if he had questions. Well, if he had questions, he didn't have an opportunity to ask. But I think that he didn't need an opportunity. I think Joseph was prepared to marry uh, his, his betrothed wife. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I think that that's probably what he would have preferred to have done uh, if the law didn't state otherwise. So Joseph immediately obeys. He fulfills the betrothal oath and weds Mary. And we read this in uh, Matthew 1, 24, 25. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, um, I've mentioned in the past that Joseph, I think, was a calm. Uh, he was uh, faithful. He was spiritually mature. You notice that he's not up wringing his hands all night long. He's not anxious. He's not worried. He's pondering what he should do and probably when he should do it. And so he goes to sleep like Peter. Uh, even though Peter was facing death, he goes to sleep. And the angel appears to him while he's sleeping and tells him exactly what he should do. And that probably uh, awakens him. I, I don't know if it awakened me, but it, it does for him. He was aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called and he called his name Jesus. So point 11 here says that Joseph immediately obeyed. Again, Mary is beginning to show her pregnancy, but probably can still conceive, uh, but probably can still conceal her pregnancy with loose co clothing. Now, uh, we have uh, several other points, as a matter of fact, uh, up to 20 here. And we'll pick these up on Wednesday night. I do want to start uh, or 
continue on or get a good start in 1 Corinthians next Sunday. So Wednesday night, we'll finish these chronology. We'll finish the chronology, the timeline of the Christmas events. And again, this is not just an academic uh, exercise of trying to pull together these events. But it helps us, I believe, to understand what was happening. And we should try to put ourselves in the position of Joseph and Mary and uh, realize that they're going through a very difficult time in their lives. But what did they do? I believe that they relied on God. Mary finds herself uh, pregnant. She's not married. She's been told by God the Holy Spirit that she's not going to be pregnant from a man, but it's going to be God. And she needs to believe this. She needs to have faith that that, in fact, is going to occur. Uh, And she cannot worry about what others think. And she has to trust her betrothed husband, Joseph. Joseph, I think, is at a point not of trusting Mary, but realizing what the law says. Uh, What happens when a woman is found to be pregnant and unmarried? And this is what he's pondering. But God, the Holy Spirit says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be be concerned about uh, what this situation brings to you. You simply need to obey this guidance, the guidance that comes from God. And that guidance is wed Mary. And what I also like here is that Joseph is told to name the child. Uh, This is not going to be sort of a casual marriage. Joseph assumed the responsibility of being the father. Name the child. You have the responsibility of naming the child, Jesus. He is going to be your son. Not biologically, but he is your son. And you will rear him with Mary. And so there's so much here, I think, that we can learn from this chronology. And we'll continue it on Wednesday evening. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the passages that are, are found in both uh, Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. Uh, they're not given in a chronological way, but as we put them together, we can see many principles. Uh, we, we see how this developed. And Father, help us to understand not only uh, the facts of this chronology, but Uh, how it came about from the standpoint of these individuals, your actions, the uh, obedience of Gabriel, uh, his uh, function in this chronology, and then, of course, Mary and Joseph. Help us, Father, to see the importance of why God the Holy Spirit has revealed this uh, uh, and preserved it for us. And we're thankful, Father, that we have, Uh, the information of this virgin uh, conception, the virgin birth, and the importance of it in our lives because this will result in our Lord Jesus Christ eventually going to the cross and providing a redemption for our sins. Help us, Father, uh, to be 
encouraged by this and edified as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.